to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Starr. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything with a nerd at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show. Show. Welcome back to the Board Game Community Show. Today, I am joined by Heather Newton from Protospiel Online. How are you doing, Heather? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Riley. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Well, let's talk about... Oh, okay, I should have thought about this before, but like, I want to jump into Protospiel, but let's start with you, of course. How did you get into gaming? Okay, well, there are multiple different stories you might be asking me about there because there's different aspects of gaming in my life. Um, Like a lot of people that you have on this show, gaming (laughs) is a huge part of my life and different aspects of it. So how I got to be a gamer, I've been a gamer since I was a tiny child, like my earliest memories involve playing games. Uh, And I had a lot of the classic things that everybody knows, like trouble. I had like, I remember a little travel size trouble that I had and, uh, other things like that. But also I liked weird games. I'd always get a game for Christmas. Like I had Omega virus when I was a kid. I still have it. I have a section of my shelves in my game room that are the old games that I had when I was a kid. I had Mousetrap and I really played it according to the actual rules and got it to work. And I was a very fastidious child. Like all the pieces are still there. The worst thing that happened to it is my cats chewed up some of the cheese and mice. So, uh, yeah. And, and then like gaming in my adult life uh, or this phase of the hobby gaming world, when, um, my husband and I met, we actually both, we had games in common, but we hadn't been like big on playing them when we, we had been in college necessarily. We like, he, he had been introduced to Bonanza by a professor when he was in college. And that was one of the first things we played together when we were dating and he also loved from being in a, uh, he, he was an Eagle Scout <laughs> and he, in Boy Scouts, he learned Rail Baron and was very captivated by that. And so he was excited that I was up for things like that, <laughs> played Rail Baron with me. It's a terrible game, actually. <laughs> it's just not, it's awesome. Like the idea of it is really cool because it has the real train routes from uh, like the early days in America. Uh-huh. And the, the goal is to, pick up different routes from all the different real companies. And so that, that history is kind of cool, but it's not, it doesn't work with two people and it doesn't work with three people. It just doesn't work with any player count really oh, because, because there's only two networks worth using that you could, would, would give you any chance of winning. Like kind of once it's kind of like ticket to ride where you steal the route and you're going to win. Um, but it takes a really long time to play. So you, you bring in a third person to play it and they're going to lose. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause they <laughs> and, don't know. Right. And there's a, um, there's a variant you can play with two people, but it's not, it doesn't, it's a variant. You know what I mean? It's not designed to play with two people. So it's just kind of a bummer 
there are much better games out there. We still we still have his old copy with this goofy looking guy in a like a photograph of this guy in a top hat, like his old retro copy. Oh <laughs> my goodness! It's not one we're going to play anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, and I think Dominion was the one that really got us looking at Amazon and buying more and more games. One of, one of his friends um, from Salt Lake City was the one that when we went on a visit to Salt Lake City. Uh, taught us Dominion, and we were like, "Oh wow, mind blown!" I never played Magic. I know a lot of people who played Magic were blown away, especially by Dominion, because it was just sort of like a faster Magic-like experience, right? Where you don't mm. have to in advance build your deck; you're building your deck while you're playing the game. More efficient, right? Yeah, yeah. That would be probably. Uh, I never actually have ever played Catan. <laughs> now I'm probably never going to play it just because it's it's like a. Uh, two truths and a lie. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> People will never believe that. Like, what? No, no. Right. If you're into modern board games, you had to have played it. Right. No, it was Dominion for me that got me into that. And then what got me into designing games is kind of um, overlapped with what got me into being an entrepreneur in general. They're kind of hand in hand. When I uh, went to college, I went to college to be a chemist. And I did work as a chemist for about seven years. One of my jobs, I worked overnights and sometimes I had nothing to do. So I'd just like be filling my time in the middle of the night with something. And one of the things I discovered was Sudoku. And I discovered like a um, downloadable ebook about strategy for it, which, you know, now that I've read it, I'm like, yeah, there. <laughs> Sudoku <laughs> almost feels like a sort of solved logic puzzle to me now that I've done enough of it. But there was this guy who was retired and he wanted to share the knowledge of Sudoku with other people. He wrote a PDF and he sold it as an ebook. And I was like, wow, mind blown. This was like in maybe 2006 or seven, I discovered this. It's like, I'm going to make a product that doesn't take, doesn't require inventory. That's so compelling to me. And uh, Will and I, my husband now, but he was my boyfriend then, we bought one of those uh, murder mystery party boxed kits from like Be Puzzled or whatever. And hosted it for Halloween. I think our first Halloween dating, we did that. And I love hosting parties. I love giving everybody their cool party favors and like theming the party favors to <laughs> whatever the party is and the meal to whatever it is. And that's that's one of the things that happens with those box sets. They give you recipes. They try to theme the recipe to, especially this particular brand, theme the recipe to the storylines theme. So ours was uh, Italian restaurant. And um, I just made all, all these like extra games that were themed around the characters, uh, like a bum wine tasting <laughs> where we bought really cheap wine. <laughs> and um, you had to, uh, you were supposed to taste the like very crummy wine and pick the, the highest quality one. <laughs> That's awesome. None, none of them were more expensive than like $3 a bottle. <laughs> Something like that. Um, and like a jelly jelly belly bean tasting and things that were kind of restaurant-esque, right? Oh, okay, yeah. And I also made a um, live-action clue experience for that party oh. where I drew a map of my house and colored like different sections of it. There were different zones of my, my apartment at the time. And then I bought toy weapons, like a knife and a pop gun and stuff like that and hid them around the house and the, and everybody was given uh it's something we played in college called assassins so it's a variant on assassins where i gave each guest 
a, an assign, assigned target to murder, quote unquote murder, and instructions on this is the murder weapon you need to find and this is the room you need to murder them in, quote unquote. And murdering them equals like if it's the rope, find the rope get the rope wrapped around their wrist, you have murdered them. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um, assassins, you just play this with water guns. And uh, when we did it in college, it was like in your real life, um, you were supposed to hunt each other down and find out. It, it was kind of a getting to know you game because you'd find out what classes people were in or where they worked. And then we just had <laughs> rules like you can't make a scene in anybody's classrooms or workplaces, but as long as you're at least eight feet from the door, of those places. Oh, gee. You can like pop out of a bush and be like, got you. <laughs> and then you'd get you'd get their assignment. And it was like a, a circular. It was last oh. man standing kind of thing. OK, so I wanted to have that experience just confined to one evening and did it with this like these six characters had assignments to murder each other. That's so awesome. All, how all did these it work? Th- it worked out great. People. It's not easy to tell other people how to recreate it because you need like you need to show them what the knife looks like. You need a picture of the toy knife that you're using, right? Oh, yeah. I suppose I could um, make cardboard cutouts through the Game Crafter that just look like a knife and a gun and stuff. And then just like you brandish the gun. They they see the gun. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to work like a toy, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, I, I never could figure out how to package that actually as a PDF where I'd explain to other people how to do it in a way that felt like I was making it easy for them. It was never easy for me to, to post it. <laughs> <laughs> because because you have to be very on top, like, okay, these six people are coming. These are the people. Uh, everybody's here, right? Because if anybody's missing, the chain would be broken and you'd have yeah. like a fix to make. So that is part of what makes it stressful. But anyway, so I threw, I threw this party and Will said, oh my gosh, everything that was in the box was super lame, but everything you made was really fun. <laughs> and so he was... <laughs> <laughs> the originator of this idea, which is now called Open House Mystery Parties, and it's a um, a company that I have but haven't really launched any products for. I've been doing many iterations of a murder mystery party kit that doesn't require a fixed guest list. That like it's okay if somebody cancels their RSVP or doesn't RSVP until the last day because. In general, I find that to be the most frustrating thing, at least for me, in my experience, when I invite people to parties, they can't commit or they do commit and then something totally fair goes wrong, something that they have no control over. But if it's a murder mystery party and the host has put a ton of effort in and all the guests have put in effort to their costumes, they it feels really bad to have to cancel. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to I don't want to organize a party that people feel terrible that ends up being a feel bad for everybody involved. If anything, anything goes wrong. It's like so fragile. Right. Right. So I wanted something where and and generally the box kits, they'll tell you, oh, so that you can enjoy as the host. You're not supposed to know who the murderer is. It could be any of these characters. So when somebody cancels, it might be the murderer that canceled. You don't know. You like you're now you're in a rush to find somebody to fill in for that character or like another of your guests needs to play them too. And it's just stress. Like hosting a party is already stressful. There's already all the social anxiety that people have around these kind of things a lot of times. So I wanted to make one that was more flexible. And I did many, many iterations. One of them, like largely I did a lot of um, social deduction things. And that is what brings me to Protospiel too and how I... um, got into the industry, it really Protospiel was how what got me into the industry of board games as well. 
uh, I've had lots of different careers because I was a chemist and then I was a web developer and I still am kind of a web developer. I have a part-time job doing that. Uh But the job that I had as a web developer, I got laid off from. And I said, okay, I'm going to, in this moment where I'm kind of, my time is free, I'm going to focus on making this product finally. And there was a game crafter contest for, it was the game hole con uh, contest, the gauntlet, I think, where they were giving you like three different requirements and you could pick one of the three, or if you did all three, you got like a bonus point. And it had, it was something they were doing, I think also to promote their new um, laser cutting technology. So like having different sizes of chits was one of them. And something that involved RPG, which I was like, murder mystery parties are kind of RPG. Like, especially you could give characters powers and stuff too. Yeah. And one other thing. So I decided I'm going to do this, but I know nothing about board game design. And I had been to one protospiel. Uh, Madison was the first one that I went to. Will and I went just as play testers just to see it and find out more about this whole world and had a, had a really nice time, made friends. So I'm like, okay, I know that people who go to protospiel know a lot of stuff about game design. I'm going to go and just put this thing in front of them. I have no idea. I'm just going to make up a step one thing. I don't know. And see what they say to me. And it turned out that was the, the perfect attitude. To go. They just loved me there. Because <laughs> I was an open book. They could give me advice and I wanted to hear it. I didn't argue with them about the advice and I didn't take it personally either. Um, and I guess that's I, I didn't even think that I didn't sit there and think, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to impress them by doing this. You know what I mean? But apparently it's not very common for people to come in like that. I just, I wasn't precious about my idea. It seems like it's quite, it's quite common for people to feel precious about the idea and to keep it hidden, want to keep it hidden and everything. I think because I knew about Protospiel before I had the idea, I didn't really have time to work on it for three years and get super attached to every oh. idea I had and everything like that. It was be- before Protospiel, it was only, it was a party kit. It wasn't even something you would call a board game, but I thought, okay, maybe a board, maybe a board game is the way to do it. Cause I can randomize components. And also I, I uh, said to myself, I got to make cards. If I want to randomize things, I'm going to have to make cards. So I tried to make a printable card, like a print and play card file. And uh-huh. it was horrible. Like I, I made, <laughs> I made a party of my own and hosted it and everybody had fun, but my experience of producing all the pieces that needed to be randomized and handed out to everybody was miserable. Like home printer printing is awful. Yeah. <laughs> I, d- I don't, I don't, I'm like, I'm trying to make a good experience for the host. I don't even want to do this myself. And I was <laughs> the one who created it. So that made me start looking how to make cards. And that's how I found the game crafter and the game crafter tends to, um, well, they host their own protospiel. That's the Madison one and why it was the first one that I went to. And they also always are sponsoring all the protospiels. So learned about it that way. They also used to have a podcast where they talk about protospiel a lot, the, the Game Crafter podcast, but they haven't recorded an episode of it since I think even before the pandemic. So I think it's gone. I'd like it if they'd come back, but I <laughs> <laughs> haven't seen it for a long time. Anyway, so, but yeah, that podcast was actually probably the first gaming podcast that I listened to where I learned about Persia. So, oh, that's yeah, cool. they, they convinced me there that social deduction was the mechanic I should be looking at. And I learned about all the different ways you can do social deduction. And everybody was like, oh, there's this game where it works this way, et cetera, et cetera. And um, in that contest, I ended up getting into the finals because I, I pushed for people to vote for me. Like I I lobbied for myself and now people do that more with game crafter contests. But back in that, at that time, that was in 2016. 
Yeah, I think so. No one had ever gotten as many votes in the community as I did. Oh, <laughs> wow. I went to local board game cafes and, and uh, I explained to people how to make a Game Crafter account so they could vote on the thing that I showed them at the cafe and demoed there. And it wasn't like a ton of votes. I think it, uh, maybe don't quote me, but I feel like it was maybe 40. You know, now somebody has not like blown that out of the water. But at the time, everyone, oh, that never happens. <laughs> it's way more than people usually get. So I didn't, the judges did not pick me, but then they went to the community and said, given that this game, like in the semifinals, given that this game got more votes than anything has ever gotten before, do you want us to put them in the finals? And they said, yes. So I actually got to the final round because of that. But I would say the game was very, uh, the, the thing that I, I hear you asking people, are you a sculptor or a painter? Yeah. And I think this game, lots of things were thrown into it. Um, a friend of mine here in Colorado, uh, Mike Fitzgerald, is a uh, old guard game designer. He worked for Pokemon and he made oh, the, wow. um, he worked on Pokemon. Uh, I can't remember which company had it when he was working on it, but, and he he's the mystery rummy designer. So there's this whole line of, uh, games and he designed diamonds, uh, which is a trick taking game, but he play tested it. I met him as I was first, you know, releasing this and found out he was a, a local to me. I met him in Michigan, but he was a local to me. And he said, well, you've cut like four good games here. <laughs> you need to pick which one, <laughs> like four interesting games that you could have here. Pick which direction you want to go with it though. And it was very board gamey. It was very like, we have to be huddled around the table and there's rooms and markers for players like kind of clue-esque but it was a social deduction game i thought this is not a party this is a board game i wanted to make a party and so then i thought okay i need an up and about social deduction game and a lot of the things that i've made after that are just cards card systems for up and about social deduction games and eventually i came to the conclusion that these parties are supposed to be accessible that's like thing one that's my north star i tell a lot of new designers when they ask for like first piece of advice is Pick a North Star. What is important to you that this game is? Like decide what you want it to be so that when people give you a, uh, feedback about it, you can say, okay, you can always say thank you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. You know, which, you, you know which one not to ruminate on later and say, well, they're asking for a game that isn't what I'm trying to create. That's fine. That's, I'm not, so I'm not going to go that direction of the advice they're giving me. But uh, for me, my North Star was I want it to be something that you can invite all your friends to. That's why it's supposed to be a flexible guest list. You can invite 16 people and the eight that say yes, come, you know, yeah. and every everybody will feel welcome and it'll be approachable. And what I found is social deduction is not approachable. Not the first time you play it. You need to play it and mess it up always. All of them that I actually judged a, a contest later for the Game Crafter that was social deduction. And so I tested out those seven different games. And that was all, I think that, that that experience was part of what made me decide I'm not probably going to do this after all, because the first time you play them they're everyone is confused and you can't ask a question because it's a secret. You can't say, yeah. well, so if I'm the murderer, blah, blah, blah. So you don't want a very, they're more fun when they're super short. So you can mess up and then play again. Now that you all saw that happen but that's not what, a, like a murder mystery party is supposed to be a production. So it just, I didn't, I, I, for it to work, I think it would have to be, you play once as a mess up, somebody's the murderer and it's, and then you play for real. So that's really interesting though. Cause I think, you know, when you look at any game, 
generally your first play of it is going to be rough when you're designing a game. Like your first couple of plays are probably going to be really, really rough and you have right. to tweak it. Uh, and I think of a lot of games and long games too, where like I was just playing one the other day and now I can't remember what it was, but it's like, I can explain this so far, but really you won't understand it fully until we finish scoring. So like we mm. need to do a whole game and then you can, you'll understand right. like why certain things are working. Or maybe that's just cause I'm, not great at explaining games. <laughs> I I don't know. But I, what, what I'm saying, even finished social deduction games are like this. Say, uh, like a game that, well, it's a bluffing game, I guess. Bluffing and social deduction go very hand in hand. They're almost the same thing. Yeah. But not exactly. And that was part of the conversation that we had around that contest that I judged. was like, oh, what does that actually mean? The semantics of it. You might call it a bluffing game, Dracula's Feast. I can remember playing that with my friends and everyone was just totally confused until they experienced it. It's not that it's not that it was a prototype or that the instructions weren't clear or that the game was even that complicated, but it's just very hard to verbally describe what's about to happen and then and have people get it and know how they should act based on the objective that they have. Once they see other people screw up <laughs> and them do it, them, they're like, oh, yeah, this is funny. Let's play this again for real, you know. Nice. But that's just not that's not the experience I wanted to make for the party. I wanted it to be like a live action. Well, a play that you get to be a part of, like you're in the action, but that you don't have to just sit around and read lines because that's what a lot of those murder mystery party kits are is you just read you're just reading a novel to each other you're reading the lines of a novel to each other yeah but you don't you don't get to be creative in your character beyond maybe if you want to use an accent or if you want to wear a costume <laughs> i've heard a lot of people say that they expected those parties to to feel like they're solving a mystery like they expected to find clues and do something with them and that kind of stuff so that's what i was trying to go for but running into a lot of frustrations and dead ends Fortunately, slash, I mean, it was a it was a happy thing, but a sad thing <laughs> right before the pandemic around uh, like that November, December, January, I got a flash of idea and I made a scavenger hunt escape room. I just completely got a new theme, like the theme I had been working with all the time when I was doing things with Protospiel was Night at Higsley Manor, the concept being a. 1930s archaeologist has been missing for 10 years and now they've declared him dead and all these random people have been invited to the silent auction at his house and then they get locked in things and the craziness ensues so it's it's kind of a little bit and indiana jones-esque a little bit uh house on haunted hill-esque it kind of picks from these things okay so i've been doing that for a long time another thing that will my husband helps with a lot is making the characters. And that was his other complaint about original box sets is like, they tend to be just cartoonish, ridiculous characters that have nothing interesting about them. No interesting backstory or whatever. Uh -huh. He was, he, he wanted a game that had more interesting characters. So he helped me to develop a lot of them. And that is kind of the bummer is I'm not sure what I'm going to do with all these characters that <laughs> they're really interesting and we like them, but uh, I haven't figured out how to use them in this new format I have, which is I just decided I'm going to do something completely different, Christmassy. I'm going to throw out this whole theme and just make a completely new thing that's about penguins at the South Pole 
who have come home <laughs> from their Thanksgiving break in Florida and <laughs> found all their gifts are stolen. And it's actually kind of a riff on if you've ever seen Club Penguin, there's like a spy themed game. It's it's a it was a kids a kids online game, flash based hmm. that uh, I learned about from a, a kid I was mentoring. 12 years ago or something like that. But uh, there was a sort of adventure-based point-and-click mystery-solving game about a, a, a grumpy polar bear that just didn't like the penguins because they were too happy and having too much fun. So we made up a walrus. Um, my, my husband made up a walrus that basically just says all the things he wishes he could say complaining <laughs> about people. <laughs> or he just channels his grumpy old man, inner grumpy old man, or overly important grumpy old man. So this walrus <laughs> that hates the penguins because they're just for, for nothing. They never did anything wrong, but he stole their gifts. And I made a, sca a scavenger hunt that kind of allows people to get pieces of their party favor slowly as they solve puzzles. And as the host, I le uh, like it's a host-led thing. I'm not playing too, but I get to make this experience for people. And I, I got a lot of advice like, oh, people are going to want to be able to play too. You shouldn't make a product that the host can't play. But eventually I realized like I'm the person I'm making this for. There are people like me who love making an experience for others that's what I wanted this to be. And so that was one of those North Star things where everybody told me this and it seemed to make sense. And I was really trying to make it something the host could participate in. But when I let go of that and just made it something that I was jamming, it was so fun. Like I had a blast hosting it. All of my guests had a, a really great time. And I'm like, I found it. And then the pandemic. Uh, of <laughs> <You> course. <know? laughs> So I have not been like continuing with that. And I, uh, I, I, I'd like to get back to it eventually, but I've just gotten so it's so out of my mind so far from my mind now with other things that I'm focusing on, it'll be a little bit of effort to get back in. So yeah, and which that brings us to, so that was why I was involved in Protospiel. Part of being involved in Protospiel as a woman was it being very obvious that there are hardly any women that were going to the in-person Protospiels which I, I, especially doing the murder mystery party where at the time I was trying to make 12 female characters and 12 male characters and struggling a lot with that for so many reasons. Like it's just very hard to get an equal number of each gender. And like, even since then been like, and this is very exclusionary. Uh, you know, I was, I was in this very gender binary world back when I was designing it and trying to be inclusive of different races and different backgrounds, but not thinking about the gender thing and couldn't get enough women to come <laughs> to my to my play test at uh I, I did a pr uh, one at milwaukee where i actually rented out rooms because it never worked at protospiel to test it it's yeah. a room with a bunch of tables so i i always was running into that problem so i did a i paid extra to rent out a room at milwaukee and tried to invite people from in the community in milwaukee even to just come and i i got five women <laughs> Oh. Out of out of twenty four participants, right? So you know, guys just played women roles, and it was fine, and they were fine with it. But uh, yeah, but it just highlights the I, why is it so hard to talk women into participating in in this, even when a woman invites them? So uh, wanting to be the change I want to see, I I thought about it for years, and I finally decided to host Protospiel Denver, um, since I'm yeah I'm in northern Colorado. 
And I had a, I think it was just kind of the perfect storm as somebody that was from Michigan had moved here to Colorado and he has since moved away again, but who understood the ethos of Protospiel. So I had like somebody else that I didn't have to explain it to. He just immediately understood what we were going for to help co-organize it. And so we did run it. We ran it uh, March 12th, 2020. (laughs) It was crazy. Because <laughs> um, that's just, that's like as COVID is starting. I did yeah. a convention, not yes. board game related in March of 2020. And it was like the first, the first case of COVID had hit Utah like that weekend. Right. And I was like, right. oh gosh. Yes. Yes. So we were in a place where I was talking to the hotel about it in the two weeks before we ran it. I was trying to make sure I knew, trying to find out what are the protocols if you're going, like how big of a thing can you run? What is safe? What isn't safe? Yeah. They were, they were saying, you know, a 200 person event was fine um, the week within the days leading up to it. And we had sold maybe like 115 or something ish badges. So I'm like, we're going to be fine. Like even if there's last minute people, we're not going to hit the limit. And really the problem was they were just changing their minds so rapidly about what they were asking us to do. It was just impossible. (laughs) So we're at the hotel. We have set the whole thing up. It's Friday. People are there. You know, it's a Friday through Sunday event. And, uh, and they closed school on that Friday and like it didn't open again for months and months. Right. And so some people were canceling, um, you know, about because, because either somebody in their house had some kind of symptom and they didn't know whether they had flu, cold or COVID, which is really a courtesy everybody maybe should take, but that's even if there was no COVID, but it's just not our, it's not our culture to, you know, to ever step back from doing something because we have the sniffles Yeah, and, and, uh, like our refund policy was two weeks before the event was the day I had to pay the hotel. So that was, you could refund all the way, 100% refund all the way up to that. But we were way past that. And I actually had already paid them. I didn't have the money anymore, so I couldn't refund people. We got to Saturday and I, you know, I was getting, I was getting emails that I was a terrible person and things like that because it was running. (laughs) And we, like my co-organizers, I didn't go in the morning because I was just so stressed um, trying to decide what to do about this. Mm-hmm. They went around for me to each table and said, how do you all feel? Do you feel like this is dangerous? Do you feel like we should go home? What do you want to do? Like, what do you, what do you want us to do? And like unanimously, everybody said, we're already together. Can we just please have this weekend? You know, and it was the last time. Oh, that is crazy. And how'd it go, though? It was a, <laughs> a stressful but beautiful experience. Yeah. Yeah, we had about, I think at the most... We had maybe 90 people in the room at a time, 70 to 90 people in a room at a time. And um, I had made, I, I, they, they ran out of hand sanitizer at, you know, at all the stores in my area oh, yeah. two weeks before this. And so <laughs> I told you I'm a chemist and I found a recipe for hand sanitizer and I found the, there's other ingredients you can buy like, um, like a sun cream gel and Uh, isopropyl alcohol to make hand sanitizer. So I made all these little bottles of hand sanitizer. uh, So I'll, and we wiped down all of our tables. I told the hotel, don't give us any tablecloths so that we can just wipe the tables after every use. And yeah, we got a lot of good play tests in. It was, 
a really nice community experience and awesome. I have no idea when I'm going to host Denver uh, again. Yeah. So. so here in Utah to kind of relate to that, we, we have protocon. We started protocon uh, in the first one was February of 2020. Oh, wow. That was the first one you ever did. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that was like how I got introduced to the design community. Like I didn't really know there was this big design community and, uh, and so of course, like right after that, you know, I didn't get to go to any more meetings or anything, you know, right. like the regular meetings cause everything shut down the next month. Yeah. But, you got a little, little taste of what it would, what it was like before you were there. Ah, yeah. It's frustrating. And then they tried to do it this last January cause everything was starting to look up, you know, we were like, okay, yeah, like we probably can do this. We started to book the, you know, the venue and everything. And then probably a month and a half before it was like, yeah, nope, this isn't going to work. January is not going to work. So now we're not, we just had our recent meeting and we're not doing it this next January either, because you know, at this point, who knows? It's too uncertain. And it, it's so stressful. It puts this really stressful burden on you. If you're looking three months out, you need to do a event successfully. I would say any kind of event, both online and off, you yeah. need to talk about it several months in advance. So people get lots of chances to hear about it and they can block out that weekend in their calendar. Um, people have a lot of things going on in their life, especially on the weekends. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you need, you need to give people a lot of notice and in the world that we're living in, you just don't know what it's going to be like three months from now. And that's, that's why I, I'm not even really entertaining the idea of De Denver any time in the foreseeable future because I had that experience and it was <laughs> Like it took a year off my life. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I I did. It was a, a beautiful experience, though, the way everybody supported each other and everybody was so kind and respectful who was who were there at the uh, venue. And when we were together, that was the odd thing, too. Like when I was in the room at Protospiel, it was like, everything's normal. The world is normal. Everything's fine. And then I'd walk out of the doors and I'd go home and I'm like, <gasps> my chest is tight. What's happening? Oh, my gosh. Like, we need to go. I, I, I remember calling Will and saying, ah, things people are saying are scaring me. Please go to the grocery store and get some frozen food. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to have food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh it was just, it was a, yeah, I'll never forget that weekend. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> it's funny. At the convention I was at in March, the booth next to us, the somebody made hand sanitizer, like, and mm -hmm. started selling it there. <laughs> and they probably made more on that than, like, their actual booth. <laughs> yep. So. Yeah, well, I guess I could have done the same thing. I, d I didn't even consider that. I was so focused were, on yeah. <laughs> just trying to organize the event and people being there and everything. And it's true. One of my co-organizers was like, so you made this bottle of like I had a, I made a big one, too, and put it on the front desk and put it in like an old soap bottle pump bottle. Uh -huh. He's like, can I have this? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you can. I, I still I still have all those little bottles. Of, and actually, they're kind of, they smell like summer, right? Because oh, I nice. used aloe vera cream. So Ooh. they smell very lovely. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. <laughs> kind of liked them better than regular hand sanitizer. So that, <laughs> And I got to, I, I bought like little bottles at uh, Dollar Tree and made stickers for them that, that were branded Protospiel Denver with like our, um, it, Protospiel Denver was blueprint branded and I stole all that for Protospiel online. If you go and see our website, it's branded. Okay. 
like Denver was. And so I made that little blueprint with a meeple with like a ping, you know, like clean meeple. Yeah. Clean meeple hand sanitizer. That's rad. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Um, So I guess from there, right, you're stressed. mm -hmm. It it went well, you know, Mm -hmm. well enough that uh, how do you transition to Protospiel Online? Right. Yeah. I thought that I felt bad, even though, yes, that's the reason that you have a a refund policy and a refund deadline is because of things like this. But I still felt sad for everybody who wasn't able to come for whatever reason, either because they didn't want to or they didn't feel safe or we told them they couldn't because they told us somebody in their house was sick. (laughs) Yeah. I felt like I wanted to do something for them that they'd get out of their badge, right? something else that we could do together as a community. And I had heard of Discord before, but been annoyed with it. Like, oh, it's just like Slack. I already have Slack. What a hassle. But one of our co-organizers for Denver knew a lot more about Discord just from his video gaming life and taught us a lot about it. And I was like, okay, this is pretty great, actually. It's, It's better than Slack because it doesn't have a limit on your archive the way Slack does. And it doesn't get expensive the way Slack does if you want to use it really robustly for a lot of people, for a lot of content. Yeah. And it has voice channels. And and right right at that time, they made it also video capable. So our, our, we got lucky and our Discord was one of the first ones that got video enabled. So we, we spun up a Discord for Protospiel Online. The plan was for the tickets to be $10, but the people who's, who didn't get to use their Denver badge were going to get for free. So I gave all of them their coupons. We ran it on tabletop events. And yeah, it was it was kind of a whirlwind because everybody was trying to figure out online convention stuff and using discords. And there was a lot of just like, who's doing what? And when's like, who's stepping on whose toes? And how do we not step on toes? And we decided to do it because of the Game Crafter. Well, no, I shouldn't say the Game Crafter. So the Game Crafter Component Studio and tabletop events at that time were all owned by the same company, the same people. But they were different businesses, but they all were kind of working together. And actually, Tabletop Events was created because of Protospiel to make it easier to host Protospiels. That was hmm. one of the core reasons that the people who made it made it. And um, But but it works very well for other types of gaming conventions, too. And really, Protospiel doesn't even use the um, the table scheduling that it enables. But So like all of my local conventions had started using Tabletop Events by this time, too like the smaller ones in Denver. And uh, anyway, but they were in trouble because of the pandemic. Like everybody's asking for, uh, everybody's tickets are needing to be refunded for everything that had been scheduled for the year. And they needed, they were going to go out of business or they were going to go bankrupt unless they did something. So they were doing a fundraiser. The con of champions is what they called it. And it kind of (laughs) overlapped protospiel. It was going to have, playtesting at it as well as a lot of other things. But Protospiel is only playtesting and pure. And I really wanted there to be what Protospiel is represented online so that people could see it and it could spread farther so that people internationally could see what it was. So maybe more women would see what it was because maybe it would be more accessible to them online than it had been in person. And so that was very important to me to create the experience you have when you go to Protospiel as best as I could online. And that Mm -hmm. was not the goal of Con of Champions at all. Con of Champions was a fundraiser, but 
we didn't, I didn't want to split the marketing. Like I didn't want to distract people from kind of champions because I wanted them to do well. I wanted their fundraiser to work. Of course. <laughs> so we decided to make the first protospiel online invitational only. Uh, so it wasn't accessible to anybody unless they already knew us, they, like the Denver people. And then certain circles of our friends, just people that those of us who were organizers knew might enjoy it if yeah. we invited them. And so uh, we learned a lot from that first hosting of it, and did we did a uh, because it's Protospiel, and that's how Protospiel works. There's no scheduled events. You go into a room; it's a even playing field. N nobody is assigned to be any place at any one time. You have freedom. You can be mindful. <laughs> you can be in the moment because of the way Protospiel is set up. And publishers might come, but they're not stuck at a booth, um, and they're not on a different level than you. They just sit down at the table with you and you play a game together. And that's what I love about it. That's why I feel that it's one of the best types of conventions to go to as your first one, uh, if you, especially if you're a d designer. But even if you're a play tester, uh, I think it's a good first seeing what it's like to be part of the community and everybody is just, we're just gamers. We just like to game together and that's what we're yeah. doing at Prudishville. It's exciting. And I know that I've been to Unpub, or no, 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 no. Unpub, yes, Unpub. <laughs> the Unpub Prime that's in Baltimore. And that one, you have scheduled tables and you have to man your table as if it's a booth. And I hear a lot of the designers talking about how exhausting that is. <laughs> and it's just, I can't, I, if I don't plan ahead and I don't have a partner, I'm not going to get a bathroom break or... Uh, they used to do like eight hour, you like you could get the whole day. And I've heard a lot of designers say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm doing the morning or the afternoon. And that's it. <laughs> but, yeah. still, but that's like so different than Protospiel. It's just like a relaxing weekend. I find it to be a pretty relaxing weekend, the in-person ones. And I wanted that, the unscheduled nature of it. Just the jump in, find something that's interesting now, jump out. So that's how we ran the very first one. And it went very well, but it really required somebody to be in a voice channel directing people so so that there there was no chance for people to get confused we and the our, the organizers we were the only ones that did it so we were just <laughs> exhausted there were not very many of us and we're like okay we were we did it once and but several people who came said you can't only do this once and it was actually part of my vision for this to be a platform that helps people learn what protospiel is like before they go to an in person one or if they can't go to an in person one so that I didn't need too much encouragement, but we kind of sat down and said, okay, if people still want it, how could we make this more sustainable? And we decided that we'll have a crew of moderators and also that it's, I, I like shortly after this, everything happened with George Floyd, which was, I've always been somebody who wants diversity, like wants everybody to get along, you know? And I, there, before that time, I think that I was just like, so what's the problem? <laughs> and I think I really learned a lot that summer about what the problem is and oh, that, no. it, that I need to, it, I can't complacently assume it'll be fine because I'm not causing problems. I need to actively help solve the problem if it's ever going to be solved. Um, we all do. Uh, it's just not going to solve itself. And so I started asking questions about, because I had noticed there weren't women, but then I thought, oh, well, that I noticed that because I'm, a white cis woman, but I hadn't really paid attention to the fact there are no people of color. There are no people from the LGBTQIA plus community really that come either even less of those people than there are women, 
why is that? And started asking people who um, could give me advice about being more supportive of more of marginalized people in board game community. And one of the big things is having people on your team who have that ex- life experience, who are people of color, who are from the LGBTQ community. So I started seeking out moderators who could who could be part of our team um, and show people. I also got advice from somebody that it would be really nice if you could see the faces of the people that you're going to be meeting at an online event. And um, there's a convention that I've gone to that's a marketing associated convention that they always do that. They ask you for your headshot and they make a, they make kind of a yearbook. So we've, we've done that since it's been a public event. We've done that too. You, you don't have to give it to us, but if you want to be in our attendee directory, um, part of the registration process, or you'll get an email prompting you to give us your headshot and your Twitter and, or whatever you want to share. Yeah. And, um, we maintain that and we leave it up too. there's an archive of everybody who's come each time and has wanted to be in the attendee directory. So yeah, so so we, we have moderators live always for our shifts that (laughs) that's the biggest expense actually for running it like discord's free, but a lot of other, um, online tools that make everything work. Uh, we did a lot of manual setup. Another part of making people feel comfortable, especially for trans people, they, they need to be able to, especially if you can only hear their voice, they need to be able to tell you what their pronoun is. But if they're the only one putting the pronoun in their name, it makes them feel like they stick out like a sore thumb. So this was a piece of advice that I got from trans people in my community and so we do have a really staunch rule that pronouns are in the names, nicknames on Discord. And I also want people to use their real names because then it's not it, like if you run into them in real life, you'll actually know, oh, I recognize your name. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I'm not going to call you Riled Nerd <laughs> if I yeah. meet you at a, at a convention in real life. So um, they, they can have whatever avatar or whatever they want in Discord. But uh, we have a system and we actually have built a bot now. We used to do it by hand, but we built a bot to make it more scalable. Your name in our Discord server is always your name and your pronoun. You don't have to do it. You actually can't name yourself anything other than that. <laughs> and um, Yeah, so nice. it's like your badge. It kind of serves as your badge. Your nickname in Discord serves as your badge for our online event. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Because if you go to an in-person event, you have a name badge. Right. Yes. That, yeah. And uh, yeah, very important. I'm glad that I've learned pronoun, you know, like the importance <laughs> of pronouns. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I sometimes I think like I, I now that's just become my default. Even if I'm doing a stream, mm-hmm. even if it's I know it's going to be people who know me, I'm just going to put that on there anyway. Put my right. pronouns on there. So it's just like. Yeah, normalize it. Yeah, normalize it. Exactly. It's it's interesting because I have gotten pushback sometimes about it that, um, it w- well, it, you just need to give enough options, I guess. And there's the whole thing when you're building a bot, you know, how many options are you, like, the more options can balloon into more to manage. But I've heard from some women that they don't want to be required to put, put she next to their name because it they feel it puts a target on their back. Hmm. They don't like to be required to share their pronoun because of the way women get less respect in corporate environments and things like that. 
basically like I've been sent articles that are sort of about <laughs> this phenomenon. Yeah. But I ultimately I had to say, well, there's one group that feels uncomfortable with it and there's one group that feels uncomfortable if I don't do it. And so I have to pick pick one. Yes. But I can do things like uh, since since our founding, I've added any as a pronoun so oh, that nice. you don't necessarily like you have to put something. There has to be something in parentheses there after your name, but it doesn't necessarily have to be she, even yeah. if she is probably what people refer to you as. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I do that. I I would pick any probably. Generally, I use he, they, but I like mm-hmm. I'll, I, to me, it's like it's not offensive to be called a her or a him or it just it. doesn't. Yeah, like, yeah, it doesn't trigger all you. Human. It, it, yeah, yeah, it doesn't for you. It just uh, is not related to anything that you have sensitivity around or whatever. Yeah, yeah. like my gender isn't necessarily part of my identity, like, but that's or at least not an important one to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. For me. And so yeah. I think that's really cool. And that's something I know, you know, Zoe, like, I think mm-hmm. Zoe helped me kind of explore that space a lot. And Zoe calls me they them and I love it. Like literally my favorite thing. I'll do my best to remember, <laughs> remember no. that if you oh, like it. <laughs> it's fine either way. Like, yeah, like I said, no, no offense any taken anywhere. Uh, yeah, any way you say it. So I guess with that, that kind of t- like talking about trans, there was the TTS a uh, scandal, shall we say. I've talked about it numerous <laughs> times on here. Uh, and I really, really respected what your guys' stance on it was. And so do, do you want to get into that a little? Sure, sure. And that was another <laughs> weekend I'll never forget because unfortunately, it came down to basically the Friday of Protospiel Online, January 2022, was when Zoe came out with what, what, what had been happening. So Friday night, I've just been hosting Protospiel online all day. I look at Twitter and I see this, <laughs> this tweet from, from Zoe and just, okay, what are we going to do? Because e- in the middle of the convention, everybody had built everything on Tabletop Simulator. So I didn't want to bash people who, you know, they had no reason to know they shouldn't do it. I didn't want their time playing playing the game they already built to be taken away or anybody to feel guilty about asking people to play their game that they had already built. It's already, again, it's already happening. The convention is already happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's too late to change things midstream. Um, we had a really unfortunate incident, which it was, it was sort of one of these moments of serendipity where somebody in our community who's part of the LGBTQ community in some aspect, I'm not going to speak for him exactly in what way he intersects with it, but he cares, you know, he cares <laughs> about the issue and heard in passing somebody say, Oh, TTS is rotten. And was like, Oh, what are you talking about? Now we had come out and said, we support Zoe. You're going to need to clean this up. Like in the middle of the convention, I was hoping they could, they could fix it. They could, make it better somehow. <laughs> I was maybe naively hoping that they would they would find a way to do the right thing or that maybe it could have been a misunderstanding or something like that. But uh, I didn't make a big, huge announcement and make a big deal about it at the convention itself, but on our Twitter, kind of where it was, where the news broke, right? I, I mentioned, like, spoke to it. Yeah. And somebody who doesn't really follow Twitter 
heard in passing, oh, they're really crappy. And he was having kind of a meltdown. <laughs> he was not happy. He was like, how could nobody have told me? I'm so mad at you guys. And like, I happened to pop into the channel just as he was kind of, good day, sir. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, hold, 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 hold on. We know what you're talking about. We're all so upset. <laughs> and, and, and I did say something about it. Well, I'm not on Twitter. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we had, we had a, every, lots of people happened to be in the channel at the time. And it was, it, the, this person was very upset uh, on Zoe's side. And then there was another person who was confused about why everybody was so upset and kind of put that opinion out there and that was upsetting to people and it was like yeah. but why can't i why can't i be confused though i'm mad that i'm not allowed to say i'm confused and it's like okay you are allowed to be confused but you have to understand like people here are grieving you know and it's it doesn't it's not always about you like it it can it can be about you sometimes but when people are grieving and in trouble don't like take care of them and ask later to be taken care of yourself yeah. <laughs> privately, not in a room full of, you know, 15 people who you don't know who's listening, ask privately to a friend. So that experience, um, and I think everybody was okay. I, I was able to calm everybody down and um, <laughs> like actually uh, Bryn Smith from uh, Doomsday Robots was also in the room at the time and has become a moderator since, since then for us. Uh, and also was super helpful in like mediating, just kind of was an attendee, I think at the time was just an attendee, but definitely a big shout out to Bryn for being like a resource there too. So that experience also, and then combined with just watching everything that happened with the back and forth on Zoe's tweets and between Tabletop Simulator and everything, it, uh, it, they, they just, they, I know that they, tried to mitigate the problem, but it really felt like it was a, their heart didn't change. It felt more performative than it felt heartfelt. I know you can never know what's in somebody's heart. And so I don't, I wouldn't make the decision only based on that. But I think that for us, this happening with Zoe, for a year, Zoe had been part of our community. I'm not sure to what degree my trainings about tabletop simulator encourage Zoe to use it or or help Zoe be better at it to be able to help other people be better at it because <laughs> yeah. I, I personally ran many live trainings for people who are coming to Protospiel online specifically about tabletop simulator the way it worked from the beginning was we said please bring bring on any platform but everybody wanted to everybody knew how to use tabletop simulator everybody influenced each other to use it so they didn't have to learn anything else. Yeah. And um, people who brought th things on Tabletopia kind of got eyes rolled at them. Like at first we had maybe 10% Tabletopia and 90% TTS. And anybody who <laughs> brought Tabletopia, people would complain, maybe rightly so, about some of the controls of Tabletopia are a little frustrating and everything. So they would they would get shouted down kind of and they just <laughs> cave and they switch to Tabletop Simulator. So at the time this happened, it had basically our community had just decided that tabletop simulator was all we used. And so it was what I, all of our content to help people come to the event was about tabletop simulator. So for two years, I personally had been an unpaid trainer and salesperson for tabletop simulator. They, their, their own videos about how to use the platform aren't good. So the only way people were learning these things were from one another. 
And I would, I would tweet out the sale because it helped people come to my event. Like when there was a sale on Steam, yeah, I would say it's on sale. They never liked a tweet that I put out tagging them. They never thanked me. When I uh, first started Protospiel Online, we emailed and uh, tried to get a hold of them on Twitter to ask if they could help us get codes, you know? Yeah. And they never answered us. And I think when all this happened with Zoe, it was just like, gosh, you know, Zoe also has been an unpaid trainer and salesperson, like talking people into using your platform. And it's not even really about the trans issue. It's about you had a customer who had a question for you and wanted to talk to you about something and you ignored, you ignored them. You didn't care. <laughs> and then you didn't act like they were a human being. Like you talked past them instead of at to them about yes. what was going on. I think that was kind of the most offensive and really, I don't know. I, it depends on who you are, what, what you're most upset about with this thing. But if for me, that, that, was really upsetting and triggering, I guess, because it was like, yeah, that's how I, that's how they treat me as well about other, like, it's not even about LGBTQ issues. It's just about, they don't know how to take care of their stakeholders. They don't make an effort to take care of their stakeholders. And I also learned things about, um, it always was a little contentious using Tabletop Simulator because of IP issues. So publishers would feel a little iffy about them. Like before the pandemic, being involved. I, I worked for a publisher for a little while and there was always a, should it be on tabletop simulators as bad or good? My feeling was always like as a publisher, it's a sales tool. And it's, if somebody plays a game on tabletop simulator, unless they really can't afford the game, if they like the game, they're going to buy it, I think. And if they can't afford it, then good. They got to play your game. <laughs> like maybe you should just be happy about that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it depends on who you are. But that was, you know, uh, there there was a pushback for Tabletop Simulator before the pandemic because of that issue. But I had a friend who was really good at building mods in Tabletop Simulator, th- like fancy 3D things and fancy uh, scripts that would automate the table. And he had put a bunch of things in the workshop and then he got reprimanded very strongly. Everything was ripped from the workshop and he was told he had, he couldn't put anything back in the workshop for six months with no warning or anything like that. So my impression from him telling me that story was like, okay, well, I guess that's how it works. Like if a publisher really doesn't want it up, all they have to do is ask and they'll rip it down. So for, like I learned this from my friend early in the pandemic. So I was kind of operating for these two years yeah. with this idea that that's how it would work. Like if the publisher didn't want it, all they had to do is say they didn't want it because I had evidence that somebody had been severely reprimanded for making games that the publisher didn't want them to make. But then when this all happened, I started to talk more people as I was trying to make the decision. And I talked to publishers who said, we asked them to take it down. For three months, we asked them to take it down, and they didn't. I had to send them a cease and desist. (laughs) And then they took it down, and I think that's probably what happened to my friend. So from both directions, the publisher, that's not good for the publisher. That's not good for the person who spends a lot of effort building a game on your platform. It's just not... it's, there are many reasons not to recommend the platform. So kind of getting very soapboxy here, maybe. But uh, um, personally, I did not uninstall it. If somebody had built a really complicated prototype and they wanted me to play test it, they don't want to have to rebuild it. I would play it as long as I knew everybody there felt comfortable and safe. And it wouldn't upset me. Like it wouldn't cause me 
anguish, mental anguish. But I know there are a lot of people who it is, it just brings up really bad emotions and feelings and they can't participate in the game without the distraction of thinking about what happened to them or a friend of theirs that they care a lot about or whatever. Yeah. And so our event is a public event. You can't, and I, I also got feedback from trans people in our community that they're like, I don't hold it against anybody who keeps using it. However, I don't want to be asked why I'm not using it and have to re-explain the situation to people because it's exhausting. Yeah. I don't want to be put in the position where I'm, I have to turn down games all the time because they're on tabletop simulator. And like I said, it was pretty much the only thing people were using in our server. So if I didn't say it wasn't allowed, I was saying that this was not going to be an enjoyable experience for trans people. Like it was, that was it. Like, yeah, you had to choose at that point. Right. Um, And, but, and, and, and I, and I, I think even if it was only that, I probably would have chose this way anyway. But when you add up also like, gosh, I sent a customer to them and then that customer was really mistreated by them. I never, ever want that to happen again. Um, And I don't have any reason to believe that it won't. Oh, yeah. Because they didn't change their mods. They didn't change their policies. They, no, they, they did. <laughs> did they change some of their mods eventually? Yes, they did. But well, oh. but they didn't. They haven't figured out how to. But they didn't understand the root cause. So they did everything anybody told them to do. But they're not. But they don't have the equipment to make the right decision next time. They, they're only going to be able to do things if they just do what people React. tell them to do. Yeah. Yeah. In a reactive way. So one thing is, um, this was a long process to make the decision and figure out how to explain it to everybody. Because I do know, I do really understand that people worked really hard on their prototypes on Tabletop Simulator. Some people had built really intricate ones with lots of scripts, like I described my friend had made. And I feel really bad about this whole thing for those people. Um, I want them to understand that I'm not doing it callously. (laughs) I do see them and they're still important to us. And we're not trying to say that we don't want them here. And that's a big part of why we started making more uh, materials to help support people switching. And we get, it's not a light switch flip. You know what I mean? Uh, You can't immediately do it. And that's part of why we tried to announce it as soon as we like make the decision as fast as we could and announce it clearly and completely as soon as we could uh, before the April event. It turned out that the April event was more attended than the January event after we made this change. Um, Interesting. There there was a lot to build around. Like we had something that we were figuring out together as we were doing the switch. So it, it, it gave us more uh, lit a fire under our butt to make more content, which we did do. And we need to do more of now too, but, um, and we are, I think we're gearing up too, but we have some stuff on our YouTube, of uh, just basic things to help with tabletop playground and screen top GG. And I believe I'm hoping that, uh, somebody from our community who's pretty good at playing cards.io is going to do a stream with us to teach about that kind of soup to nuts, building a game in it. Um, cause that, yeah, that's one that people don't use or talk about very much, but for the right kind of game, it might be the best possible option for like a cart, a simple card game or something that doesn't take up a lot of table space. Cause it is, it's really totally free <laughs> and, and you don't even have to learn controls. All you do is click. So it's very easy to teach people how to use it too. That's nice. When, when, when they're playing, but we released an article that if you don't 
know the whole story. If you don't know everything that happened, it's all there. Like all of Zoe's tweets and their responses and each thing that they did. And also some things um, from Bryn because Bryn really jumped in and tried to help as much as possible with help, tried to help TTS and, and TTS did listen to Bryn um, too, but uh, the pro the problem is that you could continue to see the bad behavior. They did get rid of the mod. There was a mod in discord that was very rude to Zoe and didn't yeah. understand why it was rude. And um, something that I actually wrote straight in their discord and said was this person isn't a bad person. I'm not saying this person has no value, but this person doesn't know how to be a moderator in Discord, and that's what their job is. So they're 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 not equipped for the job they're doing. That's all that's being said here. You know, it doesn't mean that we hate them or they're a bad person. They're they're worthless or anything like that. But they can't do this well, and so they shouldn't be doing it anymore until, unless and until they can be retrained or, but definitely a break needs to happen, you know? Yeah. And they did do that. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that happened. But the people who remain, um, what would happen in really the discord was kind of ground zero of the worst of what happened. And it still happens where people will come in and stir the pot. They'll go, Oh, trans people are so oversensitive or something like that. They'll make some kind of comment like that. And people will jump on the bandwagon and the moderators won't tell them don't do that. Yeah. And so just seeing that, that's, that's, that's like, a if giant that red flag. Change, yeah. If that could change, that would be a, that would be a big help towards moving towards being able to kind of have them be part of our community again. But I don't think, I don't, I don't think that I don't see any signs that they're even inching towards that. So, yeah. and they never have taught. And also here's the other thing we tweeted at them and said, this is a problem. We have a community of 400 playtesters and designers that think it's a problem. <laughs> what are you going to say? They didn't talk to us. They didn't talk to us and never, I doubt, you know, I doubt they'll ever hear me saying this on this podcast or ever talk to me. I'd be yeah. very surprised. I mean, <laughs> if they want to talk to me, I'm not, I'm my, I'm open. I'd, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love it if you could be back. I'd rather you be back. I want to, I want somebody to help you. I want you to listen. And that would be amazing if it could be healed. That would be a miracle. <laughs> I yeah. Would <laughs> I would love it. Yeah. Um, I just don't think that they want to talk to me. I haven't seen any evidence that they want to talk to, uh, th that they want to put effort towards changing. I think that they're developers. I think they want to focus on developing their game and that's it. They don't want to be community leaders. They don't want to have to think about this kind of stuff. Um, and I get it. It's exhausting, but. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's worth it because that's what yeah. like, the community, that's the people. That's who's playing mm -hmm. your game. That's who's using your stuff. And right. I don't know. It's just, well, it's frustrating. Whether they want to be a community leader, they are one. Yeah. Is the, is the thing when you when you build a game like this, you are there will be a community that forms around it. You can't help it. Um, and so that community being safe, I wish it was more important to them. Um, yeah. Is, is, but, but then the other companies, I, I can't say anything. I haven't tried to get a hold of playing cards.io. It hasn't really occurred to me, but tabletop playground, that developer is amazing. He immediately gave us codes to help us get people in the door. 
That's cool. With no, I mean, the only thing he can, and he actually was the person who finally explained to me what is even going on here is like Steam is the one who gives him permission to give the codes. So he doesn't have complete ability to do whatever. We can't have like unlimited codes. Yeah. But he, but yeah, he was like, I'll give you a pack. Yes. Done. You know, and he came to our event and did like a tutorial. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, he, He went to the BMG server and did a tutorial like himself. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's what I want to see. And the screen top GG developer is like that too. It's just, there's no codes to talk about yet. So yeah. Um, I'd ra- yeah. It just feels that night and day difference. That feels so good. Like, that's what I want it to be like. <laughs> Somebody being actually involved and caring mm-hmm. about who's using their product and, and making right. sure it's yeah accessible. And exactly. that's really awesome, which I guess kind of brings to the, you, you've come up, you, uh, you all have a prototype guide. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Yes. I think, and we're going to keep building on this, but we have a resource on our homepage now, uh, right. Kind of in the top header section, you can click on a button to get the, uh, online prototyping tools guide, which is going to help you see what the different features of these four that uh, are the main ones that get used at our events now, which is PlayingCards.io, ScreenTop.gg, Tabletopia, and Tabletop Playground. And one thing, I'm, I just built this guide and I saw an announcement I'm pretty excited about. It's going to mean I have to probably completely rebuild the table, but <laughs> ta- <laughs> Tabletopia says that they're going to be releasing a 2.0. Oh, so and it's and they're calling it 2.0 because it's going to be so different. It's going to be you can bulk add your assets and um, it's going to be a lot less buggy and run better in a browser and everything like that. So I the promise is there. I'm really excited, hoping it'll be that that it'll all work the way they're building it to. And they're another example of they also that was what was kind of sad about it is that everybody wanted to use Tabletop Simulator. We couldn't really talk people into using Tabletopia, but they gave us a, they gave us a coupon. They, they found me. They oh, that's heard about so me awesome. And emailed me. Yeah. And gave me a coupon. And so, <laughs> really, <laughs> I, they're, one, they're a wonderful, like, I think we were at the last Protospiel Online, we were playing a random game of, like, giving points for things that happen, minus and positive points. And the minus points are, so glitchy with tabletop simulator so or i mean t- table t- uh, tabletopia is so glitchy but the people behind it are so nice like when you have a problem and you reach out to them like the team gets like plus 40 points <laughs> the, the glitches <laughs> minus 30 points you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so we just want to see those two things come together where um the platform is as cool as the team that's running it yeah yeah that makes perfect sense yeah cuz like i l- I like Tabletopia just fine, but I would prefer elsewhere generally. Like if it's a very simple game, it's it's not a problem usually. Right. But. Yeah, just the way the cards cards move around. Uh yeah. it's it's just much slower than a lot of other tools you could use. So I'm really hopeful. Um and the building of things too. Um I know they know. I and now that I see yes. this announcement, they're they're and I love too like I'm, it's too bad it couldn't be immediate, but the fact that it's taken, you know, six months tells me that they've really taken it seriously. They, they're they really kind of rethinking from the ground up. That takes a while. They, they weren't like snap judgment, like, oh, people are mad at Tabletop Simulator, so we'll release 2.0 right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they took the time it needed to actually, or I. it seems like they probably must have if it's taken this long um, to actually get it working. So I'm excited about that. 
yeah, I'm sure that it's it's been in the works for a long time. <laughs> Maybe even before that. I'm sure they 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 probably since the beginning of the pandemic, they probably heard from game designers like this is frustrating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Frustrating to fix one card at a time if I'm Ugh. trying to make a prototype here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was there anything else protospiel you wanted to talk about? No, I mean, I can just give you a little bit of a overview of what the experience is like. It does seem like people one one thing is that a lot of online conventions are not very well attended and people get the impression that they're they don't feel they're not uh, I know Gil Hover wrote a article about going to Gen Con online in 2020 saying conventions are about convening and that didn't happen at this convention. <laughs> <laughs> And that that's my biggest, basically, that boils down my entire complaint about this, this experience. And I think a lot of people assume that it must be that way uh, if they come to Protospiel Online. And that's the one thing I want to want people to know is that it's we are together. It really feels like we're together uh, because of the way there's no scheduled events. So we mass together and go together and go do something and then come back to the room and find some new people to do stuff with. And you do bump into people. Um, you don't know when you're going to see who you bump into old friends that have been coming to Protospiel online. So what it's, I wish I, I've tried to build it to be scalable to even hold up to 400 to 600 people uh, around the world coming to it because they'll be in the server at different times too. We, yeah. we, we've built it to be international friendly. We have moderators 24 hours a day so that people even on Australia will have somebody there to help them while I'm asleep or all of any of our, the organizers are asleep. So we're working on building it up b bigger for international attendees. Uh, and it's slowly happening. The last time that we, ran in August. We had somebody attending from one, at least one person from every continent except for Antarctica. <laughs> and I had somebody say, I, I'm shocked at how many people you get to come to this thing. But it's actually lighter than it was in April. <laughs> from my perspective, I'm like, it doesn't feel like a lot. I know it could be more. But to, to people who attend, they feel like they're with a crowd of people. Um, so if you're somebody who doesn't want to be in physical crowds of people, but you miss the feeling of being with people, and just like meeting new friends and running into old friends, Protospiel Online it is, is a weekend of that that you can experience. Yeah. That's perfect. That sounds like a <laughs> lovely event to be at, right? <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, and I, I do a lot of the game design that I do nowadays is like metagame experiences for Protospiel Online, trying to make it fun whether you're bringing a game to test or not. Um, so bingo, Protospiel bingo is something that the organizers of the Chicago Protospiel originally made, and I worked with them to co-op, right? And so now we do Protospiel online bingo, and that the the idea there is it's to encourage you to play other people's games more, and that is part of the Protospiel ethos. I'm not sure if if that's ever been said on your podcast, but what makes something Protospiel is you play, you're expected to play, put in as much time as you get from the community. So if you bring a game and four people play it for an hour, you're expected to spend four hours playing other people's games for them. Uh, and so it, it, it is heavy on designers, but it's not only for designers. It definitely has a play tester level badge and play testers are very welcome. It's just that they don't, they don't have to share 
yeah, they, they don't, they're not, they're, there's no uh, economy <laughs> that they're keeping track of. Like, yeah, um, they're just like giving. designers are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they're also getting, yeah, I mean, that's mm-hmm. the thing, right? At these, I've done like played lots of prototypes and you can have a lot of fun with them, you know? Oh, like, and you can, yeah. as a designer, you can learn a lot from playtesting oh, yeah. other people's games. I think it's maybe one of the best um, ways to get started being a designer because you get a chance to, watch how other designers run their play tests. You get a chance to problem solve without being too emotionally attached, you know, to the outcome. Uh, you can just for 15 minutes, think about this problem and then it's not your problem anymore. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And the games are fun and it, and it can feel really fun and rewarding to know that you're able to um, reflect an experience back to the designer so that they can realize what might need to change. Like it's theirs to solve, but they're not going to know that such and such felt this way, or this was frustrating and confusing unless you can experience that and then tell them so. <laughs> and so, yeah, play testing is a, is also a, a major experience in, in communication skills and um, boundary setting. <laughs> There's a lot of like high level, high level communication skills that, uh, to be a really good playtester or uh, be good at running playtests as a designer, there's a lot of kind of uh, nuanced skills to learn there. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, let's get to know you f- real quick. Is that all right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Is there anything? Pro- oh, wait, when's, when's the next? No, we'll cover that at the end. Let's cover okay. that. We'll clo- we'll do that in the closing. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. <laughs> um, well, you have a kitty on your lap right now. Yep, yep. You probably heard her because she was like meowing right into the... Right in the microphone. I think sometimes my cats make it into the podcast, so totally <laughs> fair. Uh, what's your cat's name? Um, it's Gabby. Gabby? <laughs> Gabby. Love it. So, so yeah, it's apt. Um, meowing into the <laughs> microphone. Uh, yeah, we have two cats, and they're uh, uh, both of them are rescues. My, I had a cat... Uh, he and his brother were my eighth birthday present and he lived to be 20 <laughs> and passed away. Wow. And so that was obviously quite difficult. His name was shadow. He was a long haired black cat. So he passed away shortly after Will and I got married and um, I really wanted a kitten again so that I could have it for as long as possible. Yeah. And it was like midwinter. We were like, okay, it was right before Christmas. Let's get through Christmas and we're going to travel. So we don't want to leave a pet behind. Let's get back from Christmas and um, then look for a kitten. And there's really not kittens in the middle of winter. So I was about to just go with a one-year-old cat that looked sweet from the um, from the shelter. And I woke up in the morning and I looked and she, it, Gabby was there. And she was eight weeks old. So, oh. so it's like, oh, she, uh, is she still there? They're like, yeah, she is. Get over here. So it was actually like a 40 minute drive to the shelter where she was. And uh, Will and I went there to meet her. And the way they had it set up at this particular shelter at the time is they had rooms full of cats that were screened to be okay to be together. So uh-huh. she was in a room with a lot of other cats And when we looked in the window, there was another cat who made eye contact with Will. And she was like, you're my dad now, right? (laughs) And he was like, I want to meet that cat. 
<laughs> and um, she is so attached to him. Uh, oh. She doesn't. She doesn't hate me, but she's a very. She had a bad life. Something bad happened to her before we met her. She was starving, and she's a very floofy, long-haired cat. Her name is Gizmo, and um, yeah, she just she's super attached to my husband, and I'm fine, but I'm a little bit scary, and so are all other humans. But then Gabby is very <laughs> attached to me. She likes she likes Will more than uh, Gizmo likes me, I would say. But um, yeah, we kind of have our our one that's attached to us. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, love it. So uh, let's see. What about favorite board game? Oh yeah, that's that's usually the first question you ask. Yeah. Yeah, we, and we follow the is, flow. <laughs> it 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 is a it is a hard question because it really depends on the week. I like to. I like to experience a lot of variety, so it can tend to be my favorite board game is the one I need to learn next. Things that stand out, certainly Wingspan is one that stands out. Uh, the first time that I sat down to play it, like my grandmother had a book of birds, like for bird watching in her backyard. And so like I sat down to that game, I was like, oh my, <laughs> this is this just is hitting so many like nostalgia notes for me and I'm a nature lover too. So, um, I was like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here for this. <laughs> like <laughs> I haven't even been told how to play. I just <laughs> want to be in this game. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, you see, see behind me, one of them that I have played a lot is detective city of angels. Uh -huh. And, um, that's one that I have considered trying to set up running, um, online for people, it's it would not be easy to do. You would have to have the camera, you know, hovering over this big map. But it's a, uh, it's something that you can play solo. Uh, Will and I have played all of the scenarios except for the one that came out most most recently solo. But you get a map of LA, and you're it's the '40s, and you're a detective. And uh, normally, it's played with a chisel, who is kind of the game master. They play all the suspects. And they try to mislead you. Um, they And they give you, as the chisel, you have like different options of ways to answer the question. So you can pick the lie answer, the half-truth answer, the full-truth answer. And then they, uh, the detectives can say, I think you're lying. And if they're wrong, um, a penalty happens to them, right? Okay. So it's, it's kind of like uh, there's a GM situation going on, but it's very, it's really holding your hand as the GM. You don't have to be super creative yeah. to be able to do it. And, uh, the map is really cool. And just the ethos of the forties Hollywood is really fun. That is cool. That sounds really interesting. I've never, I've seen it on shelves before, I think, but I've never mm -hmm. tried it or looked much at it. Sounds like something I'd enjoy though. Yeah. And another one I've spent a lot of time playing is role player adventures. Um, and role player is like one of the first games where I knew the designer and he had had it on Kickstarter and we actually were a little late backing it, but I got it on pre-order kind of, I slipped in after the, <laughs> after the Kickstarter. So I love following along with role player. It's been so fun to see Keith's success with that. And his whole, like he, he watching him go from having a day job and that was his side thing. And, uh, and, and then, it's his full-time job now. It's exciting to watch that journey. And a uh, role player was like from the beginning, like, Oh wow, look at all. Oh, you can flip the die over. <laughs> you know, that was one of the game first games where I got to do something like that, that I thought was really fun. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So uh, 
role player adventures was the follow on from what everybody complained about with role player, which was that you make this character and then you don't go on an adventure with it. So in role player adventure, you can use something that like you can play a game of role player, get all the cards and everything that you collect by building your character in that game and then use that character to go through the story in role player adventures, which is a really cool, really cool to see him get to the finish line with that idea took many years to come to fruition. <laughs> but yeah, we did we did play through the whole thing uh, last Christmas. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So. Yeah, that I think I would that's near the top of my list of games I would love to get into. Uh, adventures or just adventures? Yeah. Well, because adventures is co-op, right? And yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, regular is kind of ver- is versus, right? And it's uh, yeah, yeah. Regular is versus. It's a very. It's more of a Euro game. I mean, it's got. It's a dice drafting game, but it's a. You're doing the min max, uh, min maxing of your character. Okay. <laughs> what, yeah. What the experience is, but what I lo- I do love about it is all the cards and stuff that you are getting are personality traits and weapons and armor and stuff, and so and the personality traits are associated with the, um, good versus evil, lawful, chaotic. So uh-huh. your alignment, right, in D&D? Yeah. And so when you get certain traits, it moves a marker on your board. So at the end, you're like, I'm chaotic evil. And you might have had a goal to be chaotic evil because, like, you'll get points if your cube lands on the right place on that alignment tracker. But And then you'll have traits like greedy, um, etc. And so it kind of actually makes a character that sort of makes sense as you could start to write a character about this thing that comes out of a uh, playing role player. Yeah. yeah. That is so cool. What do you do outside of uh, board games? Lots you mentioned of nature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, lots of things, I guess. I mean, like, like I said earlier on, it really takes up a lot of my life. It is my, it's uh, protospiel online is what I spend pretty close to 40 hours a week doing, um, like continuing to iterate on making it better and better. But but my day job is very, very part-time, and it's web development. I work for a company that makes a lot of materials for Christian churches. So their most famous materials are Vacation Bible School. Um, oh. Easy VBS is the one that uh, is the most famous. And you might have seen these banners around your town for like Everest or Maker or whatever. And so what's kind of funny is that these are event kits, really. That's what they boil down to. They have also party favors and <laughs> uh, decoration, like decoration packs and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's fun to help out with that. Like right now, we're getting ready to launch our next set of three of them, and I'm making all the product images. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Other like hobbies. I well, yeah, I I, I love to host. I love to have people over. Uh, Will got a smoker during the pandemic. So he likes to smoke meat and we like to have people over and eat, eat Buffalo wings and uh, ribs and stuff like that. Love that. Um, (laughs) We're, we're very dedicated to walking in our neighborhood. I live in a a town that uh, has a yearly uh, sculpture show and near our house is a sculpture garden where it's basically an outdoor art museum full of bronze statues that have been accumulated over the years uh, as this show comes to town. So I do love uh, walking outside as much as I can. It does get cold here in Colorado. So in the winter, I'm 
I want to escape. So, and part of, I do uh, escape down to Arizona and uh, Albuquerque. We've invested in properties so that we can go away for a week, a uh, few weeks at a time in the winter nice. and just have an interruption from the really cold and be able to hopefully walk outside more. Down That's there. nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> much, much warmer there. But yeah, too a- hot. Do you go there in the summer at all? I, yeah, I think I especially uh, Albuquerque would be probably fine in the summer, but Phoenix is almost scary hot in the summer yeah. at this point, unfortunately, And if you want to be outside anyway. Yes. And I, I, yeah, I guess a big thing about me, too, that I always have been as a artist. Um, I've since I was eight years old, I've painted oil and I haven't had much time for it for many years now, but uh, that's been a part of my life. And I'm uh, I took a um, assessment once that's like, what kind of work lights you up? And I got maker and that really, and actually there's a maker advocate. So makers like to create something where there was nothing advocates like to give voice to people who have trouble using their voice themselves. And so I'm like, that makes sense. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> I like to make physical things, but I also really like to make experiences. And a lot of times I'll tell people like, I'm not I don't really think of myself as a game designer, but more like an experience designer. And games are a type of experience that maybe I'll make, but not necessarily. <laughs> I do yeah. a lot of things that aren't games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's perfect. I mean, from everything we've talked about, that seems like a perfect fit for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Ridiculous theme. Oh, yeah. I actually have an idea for this. Do you? All right. Perfect. Yep. Yep. I would like a game that's about passing notes in middle school and like (laughs) getting away with it and maybe all the different ways you fold the notes and maybe like secret codes that you write or stickers that you put in the notes or things like that. I think that would be fun. That's awesome. I love that idea. (laughs) I have no idea what the mechanics would be exactly, but just that theme would be really, really delightful, I think, to me. I almost, you you could go so many different ways with that, but we've <laughs> talked about social deduction and it's like mm-hmm. that could easily be a social deduction game. Like who passed me that note? Where did mm-hmm. this note come from? Or like similar to the theme of ice cool, like trying to pass it or or like um, Sheriff of Nottingham, trying to pass it without the teacher knowing that you. Did yeah. That. Or knowing that it was you that passed it. You don't get detention for it. <laughs> Somebody else does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like trying to accomplish um, something with the passing of the notes too could be part of it. Actually, I play tested a game called Crooks and Nannies <laughs> about preschoolers passing notes, but they can't really write. So... It's cryptic. It's like a cooperative cryptic communication game. I, I I haven't seen it taken out for a long time, so I think the designer might have given up on the idea, but oh. I thought it was hilarious. I really enjoyed playing it. That sounds really entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. For mine, I didn't think of one, but I have my Roll20 up because I was doing a session mm-hmm. yesterday, and... It has, I have like, I needed something that was similar to dogs. And so there's a zombie dog and spectral dog there. So that had me thinking maybe something along the lines of like uh, supernatural pets or okay. something, you know, like you well, have supernatural pet pets cem- you have to take care of. Pet cemetery. <laughs> pet cemetery. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You have to run a pet. Ce- you're like in charge of a pet cemetery. So 
oh. you would maybe like bury them, but you know that they all come alive. <laughs> and it's not like a scary pet cemetery. Like you are taking care of all of these animals in whatever right. form they come back. And more, uh, yeah, more yeah. like Hotel Transylvania or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, or or doggy daycare, like monster doggy daycare, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you could have pet <laughs> cats and dogs and mm-hmm. whatever else people have. Fish, monkeys. I don't know. Yeah, that that uh, pet superhero movie. Gosh, I forget what it's. Super Pets, I think is all it was called from DC. Oh, yeah. That oh, one did. It yeah. looked totally dumb. It was good, though. I saw it at the drive-in movie theater. <laughs> I really enjoyed it, actually. I was surprised. <laughs> we were, like, cruising or uh, perusing through HBO Max the other day, and we were like, we kind of want to watch this. Like, I know it looks kind of cheesy, but it it looks fun, too. So we probably will watch it. Yeah, the, the ridiculous supervillain vibe. That's the funniest thing about it. The villain is a is a hairless guinea pig and Oh no. Please <laughs> and take it from there. She's just yeah, she's like uh, or if you can think of Emperor's New Groove at the end when Isma turns into a cat. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> is that my voice? <laughs> it's like that, but for the whole movie. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm definitely gonna check that out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, before we wrap up, uh, is there anything else before the plugging of stuff that you want to talk about? I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but yeah, it's been really good getting to know you. I'm Thank you for doing the podcast. I've been enjoying listening to uh, all the people that you talked to, and I didn't even know they were around. So Yeah, it's the <laughs> highlight of my week, usually. <laughs> no, every time. Not usually. That makes it sound like I haven't had a bad guest yet. <laughs> well, but you don't maybe ever do it every week, right? Yeah, you don't always have a guest every week. Exactly. Sometimes I record two or three in a week. And uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we and, uh, all know what you mean. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Except for that one guest. I'll let you all figure that out. No. <laughs> um, but on that note, yeah, why don't you go ahead and plug your stuff, when's the next protospiel, all that info. Okay. Uh, yep. Protospiel online happens three times a year now. The next time will be January 13th through 15th. And if you want to know after that, um, we have, we, we maintain a list on our website. That's just protospiel.online forward slash future events, future dash events, right? Or you could just search for future events on our website and our search bar, but that'll tell you when, when they are, but we're aiming for January, May, and August. January, May, August. Repeated. Perfect. Uh, Twitter handles or any social media handles? Uh, yep. Our, our handle is ProtoSpielO on Twitter and Instagram and Twitch and Facebook. P-R-O-T-O-S-P-I-E-L-O. It's a weird word. All of y'all probably have heard of it. But when I tell other people what I'm doing, they're like, what? Okay. <laughs> what is that word? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and we, and like I mentioned, we're on Twitch. We don't have a regular Twitch schedule anymore. We were doing that for a little while, trying that out. But instead, we're just using it for the times when there's something cool to celebrate or something that we're doing to get ready for the event. So we do before Protospiel Online weekend, like the Thursday night before we do a pr- prototype showcase and 
so when you come to Protospiel online, you list your pro you can list your prototype on the website, so people can see it in advance and know what they're looking out for um, at the event. So if you come and you put it on the website, we'll show off your prototype on our Twitch channel. And if things get published that have been playtested at our event or any of the uh, Protospiel network events, we'll do a Protospiel tested to show everybody the game. Uh, as long as we can get it on a platform that that we can show on Twitch. Sometimes even Board Game Arena, that's been exciting when that happens sometimes for some of our designers. They've managed to get a Board Game Arena version that we can show off. That is crazy. <laughs> that seems like the <laughs> ideal at this point for me. Yeah, it's just, it. it's not very easy to build it yourself. And in fact, it can be difficult to even find somebody who can build it for you because the way it works is sort of mysterious. Basically, a developer needs to like you and want to build your game because they're probably not getting paid to do it. They're doing it kind of as a passion project, as far as I can tell. Interesting. Um, they don't have paid developers. But from the story of the person that we, uh, uh, Twin Palms was an example of this. So you can go play that on BGA. Um, and it's a, a trick-taking game of pairs. And so it's a very approachable, like welcoming game. Um, that people people who have done trick-taking will probably feel pretty comfortable with. But it's very fun and beachy. Um, and uh, it, they told me that the developer contacted, that they put their name in to say, we'd love to be on BGA. And it's kind of like a lottery. And the developer contacted them and said, I want to build your game. Yeah. And part of it might be the developer looked at it and said, I think I can build this game. I can picture how I would build this game, right? Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, uh, and I'll have links in the episode description, probably quite a few links on this one to references of things <laughs> that we've talked about in this conversation. So, yeah. Awesome. Yes, thank you, Riley. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, you could show a little appreciation by going and rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It helps the show get seen. And if you're interested in anything else that I'm involved in, then on Monday, October 24th at 9 p.m. Pacific time, I will be on the Board Game Captains channel to do Game Night Insight. And this is our ninth time doing it. It's the Board Game Captain, Angela, Board Game Grand, and myself. And we will be talking about our top 10 classic video games. So kind of the idea we had with this is that most of the time we'd be talking about board games, but it also might just be kind of conversations that come up during game nights. And so we might talk about video games or, or just nerd out a little bit. There is the actual play Friend and Foe Adventure Co. where we play the Borderlands tabletop RPG. It is immaturely mature, so if that ain't your thing, don't worry about it, but that's a podcast that's available wherever you're listening to this, surely. And then that is it. Until next time, keep nerding out. When I met my husband, I met him on eHarmony, and eHarmony has a very specific set of steps that you go through as long as you don't go over the top of it uh, where you go through a time of answering multiple choice questions and then sharing free answer questions with each other and then you can email and we went ahead and did the way they said and we emailed each other for six weeks and then we talked on the phone for like twice and then we met in person so by the time we met in person we weren't dating. We were deciding if we wanted to date. So we were going to see each other in person the first time. And my husband was not sure how it was going to go. And he wanted something to make it feel less stressful and less pressure for us. So he went and bought a one of those sets of classic games with chess and checkers and all of that stuff in it. And so we sat in a Starbucks and we played Moncala 
and I beat him. And then we played uh, Chinese checkers and I beat him. <laughs> and then we played chess and he he had told me as we had been talking that he took chess lessons when he was uh, in high school. And I was beating him. <laughs> and he, was, he told me, he, said, he finally found the movies and I, he knows how to play chess way better than I do. So I don't know why this was happening. <laughs> Um, and he f- found the movie. He said, "Oh man, I thought you were going to beat me again." <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then we played checkers, and uh, and he beat me. So, and that's kind of how our relationship is with games. We it's very tit for tat. <laughs> we come after each other. We don't we don't pull any punches. 